Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Barefooting with Sierra. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I've been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I'm talking with Christian McNeil, a musician and composer from Alabama. I'm going to break this episode up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the new in the know <laughs> about when I do a free book giveaway on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. My second novel, Red 72 Genesis, is currently available as a free ebook through January 30th. Make sure you head over to Amazon to get a copy of that if you haven't already. You can read it as a standalone book, but it will make more sense if you read Red 72 first. I'm still working on the postbellum romance, and like I said in the last episode, I've been reading a lot of old newspapers to get a feel for how people thought and spoke at that time. I get those from newspapers.com. In an article discussing the 14th Constitutional Amendment in the Chicago Tribune from October 5, 1868, a Republican senator said that Democratic senator from the same state had an almost idolatrous admiration of the Constitution. Another article from the Chicago Tribune from August 25th of the same year had a quote from a Republican mayor from Michigan that read, I had my prejudices against the Negro, and so I have against the Democrats, but I've got rid of the former. These sassy politicians are cracking me up. It reminded me of the line from Hamilton where they say we smack each other in the press and we don't print retractions. I would say that my research is going well. I'd estimate that I have about a third of the historical information I need to write a believable story. I've started writing, but I'm going to continue to read up on historical events as I write so I can keep my state of mind in the right place. I hit my 500 word count goal for today, and I'm excited about where the story's going. My couple has met and interacted, but the romance still needs to build over the next several chapters before I put them together as a couple. I learned the hard way during my Red 72 series that it takes time to build a relationship with characters, and it has to make sense for the readers when the characters get together. So I'm really taking my time to build up the anticipation here. My favorite romance novels are the ones that have me rooting for the couple to get together for most of the book, then shows just enough action to keep me interested close to the climax of the book, and leaves me wanting so much more than the book offered when it's over. Here's some novel news. From Polygon.com, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman are finally able to release more of their Dungeons & Dragons novels after resolving their lawsuit against Wizards of the Coast. In 2018, Wizards of the Coast, who held the Dungeons & Dragons trademark, told the authors they would not approve any further manuscripts, after having previously signed them to a contract to write a trilogy. This left the authors in a bad position because they weren't legally allowed to share or profit from the work they had already completed as part of their contract. Hickman and Weiss sued Wizards for $10 million in damages, but dropped the lawsuit a few weeks ago. A representative for the authors stated that they resolved the issue, but did not provide details. The new books, provisionally titled Dragons of Deceit and Dragons of Fate, are already complete. Delray Books, a division of Penguin Random House, will publish the books. This is really exciting for them, and I'm really happy that they've been able to get their books approved. This is one of the tricky things about working with trademark characters. You have to do exactly what the company that owns the trademark wants. I used to do some copywriting for a major entertainment company, and while it was really cool to be able to point to a DVD cover and say, hey, I wrote the text on the back, the rules were so strict. Working within the rules that I created is so much more my style. 
Kudos to these authors for being able to make it work. From The Guardian, Abigail Dean, a lawyer for Google and a true crime fanatic, is seeing her debut novel, A Girl, or sorry, Girl A, <laughs> take off at a rate that she describes as 90% exciting, 10% terrifying. She took three months off from her job as a lawyer to write her book, then sent it out to agents. It ended up in a six-way auction, all of them bidding for her book. HarperCollins ended up with the publishing rights, with Sony acquiring the film rights. Dean was on a work trip in India with limited phone reception during all of this. Her agent was trying to get in touch with her to tell her the news. Dean said the experience was just as crazy and surreal as you might imagine. She's now working on her second novel and has no plans to quit her job as a lawyer. She said the job complements her writing quite well. This is so exciting for her, and honestly, good for her. Get it, girl. The world needs more amazing books. From Variety.com, Ellen Hildebrand's Paradise novel trilogy is getting its very own TV series. Ellen Pompeo of Grey's Anatomy fame will direct the series, called Winter in Paradise, after the first book in the trilogy for ABC. Andre and Maria Giacometon are writing the script. Pompeo will executive produce along with Laura Holstein, Andrew Stern, and Ellen Hildebrand herself. Hildebrand's 25 books have sold a combined 10 million copies worldwide. This is such a dream come true for so many authors. I would be out of my mind with excitement if my Red 72 series had a TV series. I feel like they're probably more like FX or HBO material than ABC or even Netflix original series, but you get the point. This is such an exciting thing. Congratulations to Ellen Hildebrand! From movies.yahoo.com, Julia Quinn's Bridgerton novel sales have exploded as a result of the Netflix series based on them. The first book in the series, The Duke and I, is currently at the top of the New York Times bestsellers combined ebook and print fiction list. The Viscount Who Loved Me is currently number six, and Romancing Mr. Bridgerton is currently number seven. There are eight books total in the series, and all of them have seen an increase in sales since the Netflix series debuted. The Netflix series, which explores a what-if scenario where Queen Charlotte elevated people of color to positions of power, is currently the fifth most-watched series on the streaming service. 63 million people have watched it so far, and it was just confirmed for a second season. I haven't had a chance to read any of the books or watch the show yet, but so many of my friends have been talking about it, and I know Felicia Day has a podcast about the show. It's on my to-watch list, but it seems like I'm going to have to bump it up a little higher in priority. From Caledon Enterprise, Tim Dorsey's 24th novel, Tropic of Stupid, is out. This is a continuation of his Surge Storms series. This novel features Surge researching his family tree and trying to visit every state park in Florida, which sounds exactly like my idea of a great time, minus the kidnap victim he has in his trunk the whole time. These books sound utterly hilarious, and I'm definitely adding them to my must-read list. From Screen Rant, Yen Press announced eight new licenses, five for mangas, and three for light novels. Normally, they do these announcements at convention panels, but, you know, COVID. The new mangas they licensed are The Eminence in Shadow, Farewell to My Altar, The Whole of Humanity Has Gone Yuri Except for Me, The Maid I Recently Hired is Mysterious, and Captivated by You. The new light novels they licensed are Spy Classroom, so I'm keeping the last boss, and the detective is already dead. All eight of these titles will debut in June and July of this year. The whole of humanity has gone Yuri except for me sounds hilarious, and that's definitely going on my to-read list. 
from Quill and Choir, Richard Levangy, I hope I'm saying that right, I don't speak French, published his debut middle grade novel, Secrets of the Hotel Maison Neuve, again, hope I'm saying that right, in the middle of a pandemic, and missed out on a lot of the typical book promotion fun because of social distancing. Because of this, he came up with a creative marketing strategy to let local readers know about his book launch. Levangy visited all of the little free libraries in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, and hid copies of his book in plain sight. He placed them one at a time, then tweeted where they were, simultaneously growing his audience and promoting local literacy. He started getting requests from as far away as 100 kilometers, 60-ish miles for you Americans, outside of Halifax, and he now estimates that he's visited 90% of the little free libraries within 100 kilometers of Halifax. This is such a great idea in so many ways, especially for rural communities that don't have access to bookstores and libraries, even when there isn't a pandemic going on. My grandparents live on a farm down a gravel road. The nearest bookstore is only about 10 minutes away, but it mainly carries religious books. And there is a library in the nearest town, but they have limited hours, especially now that COVID is happening. There's a little free library outside of the barn store in Mountain View, Alberta, though. And I remember how happy my grandma was to go through that and find a book she hadn't read before. Those little free libraries make a big difference to the communities they're located in. Next up, as promised, I have an interview for you with Christian McNeil, a musician and composer. Hi, Christian. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Glad you can be here with me. Please tell the listeners where you're from and a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, first, I said my name is Christian McNeil. Uh, I'm from United States uh, in Alabama, uh, in the central part. Uh, I am a uh, like I said, I'm a musician. Uh, I play at gigs, I perform. I also uh, am a, uh, a piano instructor as well. Uh, I've played like different instruments. Like I said, um, when I was in uh, middle school, high school, I played out the saxophone. But um, at my church and stuff, I, when I was younger, I played drums. But since we don't have a uh, another person to play the keyboard and piano, now I'm just mainly the channel and keyboard player and I don't uh, play drums any, anymore like I used to but um so I do that and um I also I have a YouTube channel um where I said I uh, post channel uh covers if I have time lately I haven't been able to post so I, I do that and um as of recently uh in October I got back into uh producing music uh so I, I've made uh 36 tracks right now and I'm trying to finish up at least two and have those released in the next couple of weeks hopefully so just kind of what I'm up to right now a little bit about me that's great uh so you mentioned your YouTube channel uh your YouTube is the next Ray Charles 26 how did you come up with that as your YouTube channel name <laughs> it's actually a funny story actually because like originally I was just gonna use my full name but there's uh some athletes, some football players that have the same name as me on YouTube and everything. And I want people to find me easier because, you know, uh, it's been a way. So when I was a freshman in college, um, I always used to, um, I used, um, we used to always have to walk to class and I'll be, it'll be really hot, um, you know, in August now here and be really bright. So I used to always wear shades outside and I walked to the building. My shades would still be on until I got to the classroom and, and when you're a music major, every classroom has a piano in it, every class. So 
it's not a lot of the times I got there like a few minutes early because I was a commuter, so I had to get to class a little bit early. Everybody has to stay in the dorm. They can just like you know wake up or whatever and just walk like three minutes to class. So I had to find a spot, a parking spot, and get there early. So when I got there early, I would be playing a piano just to kill time. And so people always walk in, and they would hear me play um, and everything. So and one and one guy said, he said, dude, he said you play like Ray Charles, and he said, and he said you actually look like him. When I was younger, he said, I, everybody say I used to play Ray, so he used to call me Ray all the time. He's coming. That was my nickname in college. Was Ray. I was a freshman. And uh, one more thing that led to that name. So that was the first reason why I chose it. The second reason why uh, I, that was when I was freshman. I was a sophomore. The incoming freshman class under me. Um, we were in choir class. Under we were in choir class. Same thing. I'll be playing the piano, and I'll be doing like little jazz runs and stuff. But I never look at the keys for real. What I'm doing, I just kind of start from the space and kind of. I actually kind of rock like Ray Charles. I don't really try to. I just do. And um, one kid that he told me like a year later, but he he met me as a sophomore. He told me a year later that he said, "Dude, I legit thought you were blind when I first met you." So he, he said, dude, I thought she was like, you know, I kept thinking I was like, legit blind. I got some like, blind pianist. Anyway, so that's what led to the name. I know it's kind of a long story, but that's kind of that's what led to the name, those two things. So, Oh, that's great. That's, that's fascinating. You never would have thought that mm-hmm. just from seeing the name. Like there's such a fascinating story behind it. So you said you, you majored in music. Where did you go to, where did you go to school and why did you choose to study music? Yeah, I went to University of Montebello, um, and I said I chose to study music because, well, it's let's well, I said I love music. I said I love music, and the thing, the, the thing about music is I said it, it it has a huge impact on people. It's it has so much like meaning to it. Like it can it, it has so much control over your emotions. It can bring you up. It can bring you down. It can make you happy. It can make you sad. If you're angry, most people listen to rock or heavy metal. If they're sad, they're gonna listen to some like say some um like some maybe a nocturne from Chopin or something sad, or if they're if they're like you know kind of they're gonna listen to you know just, just different things. It depends on what genre you're into, but you can listen to certain music with your emotion. So in a way, I I wanted to major music one um say because I like I want to be able to like sit and you know be able to play music get better so I can play for people and you know, brighten up the day with a song or two or something like that. But um, also, I wanted to get better because I had um, planned on trying to create my own, I guess, music style. I wanted to take different genres of music and combine them to try to find my own style. So that's one reason, too. So I want to learn every different time period of music, different genres possible, and then combine, you know, and try to find my own thing by combining different things from um this and that genre you know that's great how do you come up with new songs uh you mean like as far as the uh, piano like doing piano covers or is it producing um well on your instagram bio it says that you do composing um so uh, not just covers but your own your own adding your own style to things but composing new things as well how do you how do you get inspired oh okay um well composing it's really like i sometimes like i was like it's really really um composing is really all just improv it's all just improvisation um 
because, um, for example, a lot of the stuff, I'm just taking back for a second so I can kind of go for that. Like Beethoven, a lot of things he wrote was just improv. Same thing with Bach, like uh, um, J.S. Bach, he did a lot of improv. Uh, and, and you can kind of hear, like, if, if, I don't know if like, he was all his classmen classically and trained, but a lot of the little uh, key trills and stuff he did and little runs, that was just all just improv. Anyway, so when you're composing music, you just just making things up as you go. You hear it in your head, and you just basically going by, just going with the flow. You're just going by what you feel at that moment. And um, so when I composed, like, the little small works I did, I just, uh, for the first thing you have to do, you have to think of a melody. That's the biggest thing. The biggest thing you want is a melody in your head. So you kind of, for example, uh, I can just hum like a weird, like just a random tune. I can just hum a random tune. You ever seen somebody really happy? They're just humming at it. Like just, you're not even a song. They're just humming as they walk by. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. It's like, you just thinking, just kind of humming or something. And you're like, oh, it's like, oh, that sounds cool. Let me write that down. And, and then you have your melody set. And then after that, then you go back and you add, like I said, you add like another instrument to it, or you add like another uh, counter melody to go with it. Yeah, like another melody to complement that, and then pretty soon you just have like a bunch of different parts or instruments with it. So that's that's as far as um, let's say when it comes to writing music in like a, a classical sense, even not even just classical, even though um, like I said, uh, if I'm producing like a beat or something or a track, it's the same. It's the same thing. You just uh, say go by what you feel or what's on your mind at the time. And sometimes, uh, a lot of times, when people compose this when they're going through something, or they're kind of, you know, like a little uh, down, like they're depressed, or they're just kind of just frustrated. You know, it's, it's kind of where a lot of the songwriting comes from for, for a lot of artists, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I I write books, and a lot of my writing comes from emotional places. So, sounds like a lot of similarities there. What does a typical day look like for you? Uh, it, it depends, really. Um, a typical day for me, really, is like said, um, I say I wake up and um, try to kind of, well, I always work in the evenings. Like I said, I teach at a music school in the evenings. Um, before that, I was kind of working um, at a public school for a little while until I got let go uh, right before COVID, like two days before they closed with COVID. Um, so I haven't really been back since as an uh, actual uh, instructor um at, at the public school I was working at but um other than that I say it's just like I just kind of wake up and just kind of sometimes I go take a drive a little bit kind of you know just kind of uh enjoy the day and then um when the afternoon comes I go to work and I teach but that's pretty much it and, and late at night oh I forgot late at night that's when all my my mind wanders a lot at night and I'm I'm not really a night owl but I just have trouble sleeping so um I just, because my mind wanders, I just kind of just start, uh, just said, making uh, whatever is on my mind. Like, if I kind of start kind of hearing things in my head, and I just go and get to my computer or keyboard, and I just start, start um, working on music, or if something pops in my mind, I start writing out some um, lyrics to a song. So that's pretty much my day. Nighttime is probably producing, songwriting part, and then the afternoon, evening, it's like uh, just work. That's great. What is your biggest creative struggle? Like, do you ever hit roadblocks? What do you struggle with most? Oh, uh, that's oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, if if I'm being honest, um, I, I can. I, I, it won't be a really long story, but if I take it back to um, college, like honestly, I never felt even growing up. Like, 
I would get so depressed because like I would hear um, other musicians, like sometimes inspired right here, other musicians. I'm like, man, I say, I say they're killing it. Like they're so good. And, and I'll try to, you know, be better. This everybody's going to be better than, you know, your role model or somebody you look up to, you want to be better than them. Um, you know, so, but anyway, so the thing is, so when I, when I got to college, it's like, it's just kind of like, 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 a, like sports, like a college athlete or something. Everybody is as good as you or better when you get there. You know, everybody's like <laughs> at a high level. And so it's so much competition and, and things like that. So, um, so anyway, so you, I see the reason I bring that up is because, so you're constantly pushing yourself and mentally you're trying to get better at this and that, or you hear, like say, every now and then you hear somebody else play and it kind of discourages you. So that's, that's a stress for us. Like just keeping a level ahead, just in this field. That's one struggle just in general, just with doing with the field. Now, struggle as in, uh, say, doing, like hitting rock bottom when it comes to, like I said, uh, songwriting and producing. Um, okay, I started producing um, tracks, making music um, back in 2016, 2015, 2016. And, I, and at that time, I only made, had made three hours working on that kind of finish. But I went to, and I had actually wrote lyrics to one song. I just needed to put the music with uh, to, with it, but I couldn't do as much as I wanted to because I didn't have the music software. That's that's a that's a uh, that's a, a block too for a lot of people. Was trying to have the equipment and all the studio software you need, and it's a lot of money involved, and that's a struggle for a lot of musicians, especially when you just you have no help and you're on your own. Um, but um, so anyway, you have to go to an actual studio to you know, get help, you know, get the sounds you want to get somebody professional to do it for you. And the thing is, like, you can think that, oh, you have something really good and you go to the studio and they're like, nah, man, this ain't it. Like, you know, like they, they can kind of, or they can say something that kind of really crushes you and it makes you really question, like, everything that you're doing. Like, you say, am I, like, am I just, like, a horrible songwriter? Am I a horrible producer? Do I do all my songs suck? And that's my horrible musician, period. Or, you know what I mean? So all this goes in your head. So anyway, so I went to the studio one time, and I, like, I got, I mean, you know, I'm accepting the criticism. So when I heard that, it didn't really hurt, really, well, I guess it kind of did. It didn't really bother me then, but it kind of bothered me, like, later on as time went by. So I completely stopped doing, like, making music, like, for years like i just started back in 2020 that was 2016 i started back in october of 2020 wow and yeah i had a four-year absence and because i was just so discouraged and i was just like i was just done with it um but and the only reason i started back honestly is when covid hit and i started seeing like a lot of people like i said i knew because we're getting it some people were dying around here um and then it's kind of you know you start and then i say we're um, under lockdown you start seeing like what's really important and then so one day i just had that day, I'm like, I don't want to live my life with regret. I said, I ain't going to just go my whole life, just, you know, not be amount to anything and you know, stuff like this. So I was like, oh, let me get back into, um, you know, what I was going to do. And I came back this time, so I'm, I'm going to go back stronger and harder than ever. And it's just like, I just I had that one day, I just woke up and, you know, try to push through those blocks that I thought were there. So That's great. Yeah, you've got you to push through it and get back at it. Which creator, other than Ray Charles, inspires you the most? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I said because like, I like all. Uh, I said I, I appreciate all kinds of artists and musicians. Uh, I said um, just I said like I said classic music and all that. Uh, as far as 
because um, I was inspired by, like I said, Mozart, Beethoven, all that, um, all those different kinds of um, composers back then, because a lot of the music nowadays are built off of, off of um, the way they structure music. Like, because they had certain rules and things they used to compose music then. It's like, it's still kind of like that now. Anyway, uh, so so they're definitely an inspiration. And then you go to uh, artists now. Um, it's, I love I love the Rika, Aretha Franklin. I love her. Um, Mahalia Jackson, uh, uh, John Legend. Um, shoot, it's a it's a bunch. Um, it's it's so many I can't name. Uh, see, uh, Phil Collins. What's uh, what's the guy that sings uh, uh, the, I forgot his name. The guy that did "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" for Lion King. I forgot his name. Elton John. Yes, thank you. Like different, just this, yeah, a lot of the, just pretty much just, uh, it's so many I can name. It's like, but a lot of, a lot of them, um, I say really uh, kind of contributed. Um, let's say it's, it's like, say it's so many singers. I appreciate everybody. Um, oh, Michael Jackson, too. I forgot. Uh, Jackson Five, like I said, Michael Jackson. Uh, uh, what's the guy? Sam Cooke. Uh, let's say we need uh, some, um, say, uh, change gonna come. Like, say a lot of the soulful stuff. Things like that. Um, just anything that has any music to it, any artist sing meaningful music. I said that's 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 somebody that like that's an artist that like I will like always like love their content. As long as you get you to sing like something or write music that has meaning or the music really speaks to me, that's like that's something I'm gonna uh that's gonna catch my attention and it's gonna uh, speak to my heart. So love it. So on the opposite end of it's inspiring, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Something you wish you didn't listen to? Uh, mm. Honestly, I haven't really gotten hor- horrible advice. I mean, I got, I mean, I was told one time that maybe I should have, I should switch instruments like there's something else like but i didn't i stuck with piano but as far as horrible advice i don't think i've really ever gotten it because i kind of stay away from people that gives horrible advice honestly so uh, i don't th- i don't think i've really ever gotten any horrible advice that somebody gave me what's the best advice <laughs> you've ever received then oh okay okay that was by my um my grandmother um she told me like probably two months or three months before she passed um she said that she said she said baby let me tell you something she said i know a lot of people that make a lot of money they're like make good money almost rich and you know they have all the money they want and she said they're miserable they're unhappy she said be said this remember my life she said she said you can get a good job make a lot of money but if you know i say if you're miserable she's saying a point she said i'd rather have a job that I, I I love I have passion for doing, and make they say maybe like five dollars an hour or something, and be happy than make all the money in the world and, and you know and, and hate it and be miserable and have you know and just mentally just have it just destroy you. So that's something that um, stuck with me and I, and I uh, I've been living by that since she told me that. Um, so you know that's why I see, um, I still teach uh, you know. Uh, private music lessons and stuff because that's you know that's my passion and you know, I like spreading you know my knowledge passing down the torch you know to the next generation you know so things like that I love that thank you so much for sharing that and thank you for joining us today it was great chatting with you and hope I can have you back sometime yeah thank you yeah I love to be back thank you
Now on to comics. My comic today was about how my landlord is replacing the flooring in the unit above mine, and it sounds like someone is jackhammering directly on my ceiling. It's a great time. Um, do not recommend, zero out of 10. It's been going on for a few days now. Uh, but due to the pandemic, I'm currently working remotely doing customer service calls from home, and it's kind of hard to do that when all the customer can hear from your end is construction noises. It's really an irritating situation to be in, but by drawing a headset on my possum mom Petunia and sticking her in my situation, I was at least able to get a laugh out of it. You can see today's comic on my Instagram page, at World of Possums. And in comic-related news, from Polygon, this May, Marvel is introducing a comic series called Heroes Reborn. In this series, the Avengers never existed, and instead... Earth is protected by the Squadron Supreme of America. Welcome to a world where Tony Stark never built the Iron Man armor, Marvel said in a news release. Where Thor is a hard-drinking atheist who despises hammers. Where Wakanda was dismissed as a myth. And where Captain America was never found in the ice, because there were no Avengers to find him. Instead, this world has always been protected by Earth's mightiest heroes, the Super, the Squadron Supreme of America. The Squadron Supreme remind me very much of DC's Justice League. Warrior Woman is almost a carbon copy of Wonder Woman. Um, there's a character in the promotional art that looks a lot like the Flash. I also see Thanos, Venom, Juggernaut, and what looks like might be some sort of evil Groot. I'm interested to see how this will play out. From sci-fi.com, Danielle Smith, founder of Nerdy Girl Comics, had to get creative when the pandemic shut down conventions. No longer able to go up and down the East Coast from comic convention to comic convention and sell where us comic nerds congregate, she started selling via social media and eBay. Part of what made her so big so fast is that she isn't just pushing comics, she's building a community. Instagram has kind of become my baby. Because my favorite part of going to shows is getting to talk to people, she told Sci-Fi Wire. I'm an extrovert by nature, and to be stuck at home for going on a year now has been crazy. Social media is how she has been staying connected to the outside world. I jump on during weekends, and I do a live stream where I just do Q&As. I'm not jumping on to sell anything, I'm just getting on to talk to people and engage with the community. And while you might think that having all of us stuck at home, a captive audience, would be great for sales... Danielle said that's been one of the most challenging things to overcome. I'm really struggling to buy right now. Like my comic book inventory is the weakest it's ever been because I do a lot of buying at shows. Plus with all the other dealers staying home, we're all fighting each other for books at auction. We're driving the market up on ourselves. Danielle is a minority in the comic book industry, which is vastly dominated by men. While the majority of people interested in comic books continue to be men, she says she has slowly noticed a shift toward more women collecting comics. I do think that's a smaller group comparatively, but I feel like it's growing because I think that it's becoming more normal to be kind of a nerd and to collect comic books. And I think that as women come into money and realize that it isn't only for guys, they think they can do this too. I think that as the hobby grows and it becomes more socially kind of trendy and cool, it just kind of happens organically. I was really happy when I did my first live sale on Instagram to see a couple of women spend a few hundred dollars on comics. It was really fun and interesting for me to see these women so excited to collect books. 
There's a lot more to the interview that I didn't include. You should all check out the full article because Danielle Smith is seriously so awesome. I'm definitely missing those conventions where I can come with a list of comics I'm looking for and browse for them. Conventions and comic book stores are my happy place. I will be so glad to get back into my local comic book stores when this pandemic is over and pick up some more back issue comics. Here's another one from Polygon. This one's kind of spoilery, so skip ahead about a minute if you don't want Batman Catwoman spoilers. There's a new DC comic that finally does what we've been craving for decades, kills the Joker. Batman Catwoman by Tom King and Clay Mann occurs outside of the main DC universe, so it can get away with a lot more than your average comic book. It explores a romance between Batman and Catwoman, And after Batman dies of cancer in his old age, his dying wish is for Catwoman to not immediately kill Joker. She doesn't, at least not immediately anyway. This isn't really a spoiler because it's in the promotional art. I'm definitely going to want to pick this one up for the full story, probably even more so because I know how it ends. From ComicWatch.com, Dwarf Star Comics has launched their Kickstarter campaign for their comic book Voyage the Call. The promotional art is so detailed, and it's about aliens and this Nazi experimental creature, so of course I'm interested. They're estimating the 32-page comic book we complete this spring. They only have five days left in the campaign, and they have a little under $1,400 US left to fundraise, so if you can pitch in, this is a great cause to support. From trektoday.com, IDW Publishing, Trek Comics for April 2021. The Star Trek comics for April 2021 have been announced by IDW Publishing, and they include Star Trek Year 5, Number 21, and Star Trek Year 5, Weaker Than Man, Book 3. In Star Trek Year 5, Number 21, with Spock still missing, the crew of the Enterprise needs to figure out where and when he is if they want to save the future. Meanwhile, on Vulcan, Spock is faced with a choice that won't only change his life, but Vulcan society as he knows it. Written by Brandon Easton, Year 5, Number 21, features art by Sylvia Califano and covers by Stephen Thompson and J.J. Lendl. The cost for the 32-page issue will be $3.99 in U.S. dollars. Next up, Star Trek Year 5, Weaker Than Man, Book 3. This book gathers together issues 13 through 19 of Year 5 series. The description of the comics... Join the crew of the original Starship Enterprise in these all-new adventures as they near the conclusion of their five-year mission. Finally returning to Federation space, the Enterprise and her crew find the Federation isn't quite the same as the one they left behind. Kirk grapples with a very personal Klingon threat, even as the Enterprise begins its homecoming victory tour, and the Federation's upcoming presidential election is upended when Harry Mudd enters the race. All this against the backdrop of a sinister malaise threatening to rot the Federation from within. Terrible secrets are revealed, among them the origin of Gary Seven and the grand designs of the shadowy Aegis Corp organization. Can Kirk and the Enterprise crew excise this corruption, or will the five-year mission end in failure? Written by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, Jody Hauser, and Jim McCann, Weaker Than Man features art by Angel Hernandez, Sylvia Califano, and J.K. Woodward, and a cover by J.J. Lendl. I'm not personally a huge Star Trek fan, but I've watched a few of the movies, and I'm aware of the pop culture phenomenon that is Star Trek. These comics sound exciting and well-executed, and if Star Trek is your thing, they might be something you want to check out. 
From EIN News, while being stuck at home due to COVID, Jake Hamilton, a grade 9 student in Colorado, began drawing comics on a whiteboard each night before bed. His dad took pictures of these comics and posted them on Instagram under the handle at Jake's underscore door underscore comics, where he soon gained thousands of followers. David Hamilton, Jake's father, told EIN News, as his comic portfolio and his online following continue to grow, the most frequently asked question we receive seems to be, where do these ideas come from? My typical response is that I have no idea. Like an endless spring, they just keep bubbling up into his mind, then into his sketchbook, then onto his whiteboard. At his father's encouragement, Jake published a book of 115 comics called Jake's Door, which is available on Amazon. I think this is so cute, and it really goes to show that you don't need high-tech equipment to make comics. This kid's making comics with a whiteboard and a whiteboard marker, and he has a comic book out. It doesn't have to be fancy to be good. All right, next up is journalism. I hit my daily word count goal for the investigative true crime book I'm working on, and I'm really happy with how the chapter I just finished writing concluded. I need to do more research before I can write the next chapter. I had to do some on-the-fly research while I was writing today, and while I was able to come up with the information I needed, I like to have all the facts before I type out the chapter for something like this. I'm going to need to pull more court documents and get some exact quotes from both trials to make sure I get everything exactly right. In the meantime, here are some current events that I think you should know about. From KSAT.com, SeaWorld San Antonio, which rescues sea animals and land animals, including my favorite little marsupials, opossums, rescued 13 endangered green sea turtles on the upper Laguna Madre in Corpus Christi. Due to low water temperatures, the turtles developed hypothermia, leaving them too cold to move. This is known as becoming cold-stunned. They were stranded and at risk of injury from boats or predators. The SeaWorld Rescue Team actively monitors both air and water temperatures along the Texas coast, which determines when they will aid in the search and rescue. SeaWorld San Antonio's marketing director, Chuck Curo, told KSAT News. Once it was determined that the temperature had dropped significantly and the chance for cold-stunned turtles was significant, three members of the SeaWorld Animal Rescue were deployed. Using a rescue boat, the team patrolled the islands, sandbars, and shorelines to search for turtles in need. The rescue turtles will go back to the coast once fully recovered. I just, I love that. I didn't know that SeaWorld rescued animals, so that just, that makes my heart happy. From WKOK.com, the Pennsylvania Board of Game Commissioners is voting to expand game hunting to add species to the list of animals hunters may pursue. If the motion passes at the final vote in April, hunters may pursue squirrel, grouse, rabbit, pheasant, woodchuck, skunk, raccoon, porcupine, and opossum. The hunting season for these animals will be two Sundays in November. I know a lot of people see these animals as pests, but the thought of hunters declaring open season on them makes my heart hurt. If they end up passing this, I really hope they set a limit in order to preserve the local wildlife. And don't be surprised if you see this crop up in my comics. From WATE.com, Knoxville mother loses two children to gun violence in less than two years. This one's a doozy. After losing one daughter to a stray bullet, a Knoxville mother is now mourning the loss of a second child who she says was also accidentally shot and killed. Charlene Roberts has lost two children to gun violence in less than two years. Her daughter, Jessie Roberts, was killed in March of 2019 while sitting in the drive-thru of a crystal. 
She was hit by a bullet that came from the direction of a nearby nightclub. As of today, no one has been arrested or charged for her murder. As Charlene approaches the second year without her daughter, she is now grieving a new loss. Her son, Kevin Roberts, was killed on January 10th at a gathering in West Knoxville. He was 33. Now with two children gone, Charlene is learning to cope with her grief. It was just like not another one to gun violence, and the bad thing is it wasn't even meant for either one of them, Roberts said. Roberts says she clings to God and her remaining children and grandchildren for her strength. I have to just stay connected with my God because without God on my side, I'd probably be in a crazy house right now or I'd probably be dead myself. I would have probably just fell over dead, she said. There has been an arrest made in connection with the murder of Kevin Roberts. The Knox County Sheriff's Office says the investigation is ongoing. I'm glad they have a suspect already for Kevin, and I hope it's the right person. But we need to do something about them not having anyone still for Jesse's murder. This poor, poor mother is grieving, and she doesn't even know who killed her babies. Jesse was shot by a bullet fired from the direction of Vibe Nightclub at 2630 North Broadway around 4 a.m. on the 31st of March, 2019. We all take a million pictures and post them on social media, so please, if you were in the area that night, go through your phone and your social media and look at your pictures. See if you caught anything in your phone in the background. We also need to talk about the fact that the police took Jessie into the precinct to interview her before letting her go to the hospital. She could have been alive still if she had medical attention sooner. They had this woman bleeding from a gunshot wound to her stomach, and instead of taking her straight to the emergency room, they took her to the precinct. That is not right. And now her brother is dead from gun violence too. Let's find some justice for their family. Here's more of an upbeat one. This is from newsforjax.com. Jacksonville man to bike 1,500 miles, that's about 18,500 kilometers, to raise money for cancer nonprofit. A Jacksonville man will spend six months biking across America in partnership for, with Chemo Noir, a cancer nonprofit that helps provide financial support to the families, friends, and fighters in their battle with the disease. On February 20th, Greg will ride solo from Jacksonville to San Diego, San Diego to Seattle, Seattle to Maine, and Maine back home to Jacksonville. It has always been on my bucket list to conquer the United States in a way that few have, all while generating charitable donations for a foundation I fully support, Taylor said. With the help of my family, friends, and sponsors alike, these six months can bring together fitness, passion, and a love for doing great things for great people. His journey will be approximately 11,500 miles and take upwards of six months to complete. To donate, you can visit usacancercycle.com. I think this is so great that he's doing this, and wow, that is a lot of cycling. I did the math, and he'll have to do about 65 miles a day to do it in six months, or about 100 kilometers a day. There's no way I could do that. I would literally die. That's not even a joke. I would die. And here's a big one, big emotions for this one. This is from the Salt Lake Tribune. The Utah respiratory therapist died of COVID-19 in the hospital where he helped save newborns for decades. Rufino Rodriguez worked 37 years saving lives as a respiratory therapist at Provo's Utah Valley Hospital, where he was the one who would fight for all the babies in the newborn intensive care unit, his son said. On Saturday, as the colleagues who worked to keep him alive paid tribute to him, Rodriguez died 
at Utah Valley Hospital from complications of COVID-19. He was 65. Rufino Rodriguez's son, Rufino Steven Rodriguez, said Monday that his dad came from a big family. He was one of nine siblings, and at the hospital he worked in the trenches with all of his co-workers for so long they think of him as family too. Last June, when Rodriguez turned 65, he talked to his son about retirement, but said he couldn't abandon his co-workers in the middle of a pandemic. I can't leave them when they need me, his son recalled him saying. Mariano Rufino Rodriguez was born in Guatemala on June 22, 1955. He graduated from medical school in Guatemala before emigrating to the United States in the 1980s, the family can't recall exactly when, to seek political asylum. Regulators in the United States wouldn't accept Rodriguez's Guatemalan medical degree, his son said, so he trained under Dr. Stephen Minton, the founder of Utah Valley Hospital's newborn ICU, to become a respiratory therapist. Soon after joining Utah Valley, Rodriguez signed on to the NICU's transport team, flying by helicopter to bring severely ill patients to the hospital, Minton said. On December 17, 2020, Rodriguez happily reported to his son that he received his first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. But Rodriguez tested positive for COVID-19 on December 21st, four days later. On Christmas Day, he was admitted to the Utah Valley Hospital emergency room. On December 26th, he was put on a respirator. On December 29th, while Rodriguez was in the hospital, his father and housemate Felicito Rufino Rodriguez died at age 94. The younger Rodriguez said they don't know for sure whether his grandfather died from COVID-19. The younger Rodriguez and his wife Caitlin were monitoring his father's situation remotely from Minnesota. The nurses told the younger Rodriguez there was no point in coming to Utah yet because they would not be allowed into the hospital to visit him. The nurse said, the only time we're going to tell you to come visit, there's two reasons. One is to help us get him into transitional care because he made it, and the other one is to come say goodbye, Rodriguez's son said. On Wednesday, January 20th, Rodriguez's son got that call. He and Caitlin flew in from Minnesota, and he was at his father's bedside the next day. On Saturday night, about 280 of Rodriguez's colleagues gathered outside Utah Valley Hospital to pay tribute to their friend. Many of them held laryngoscopes, the lighted tubes used to intubate babies, and shined them towards Rodriguez's room, because he always brought light into the room wherever he was. A cousin posted video of the moment on Twitter. She said, My uncle didn't make it. He fought hard, but his lungs couldn't recover. This is the NICU family paying him tribute tonight in Provo. The hospital told us that 30,000 babies came through the NICU while my uncle was there. Utah is a better place because of this man, a hero. Uh, and her handle is at Aki Mira Nomas. If you want to watch that video, you'll cry. At 6.45 p.m., a life flight helicopter on its way to a call hovered briefly outside Rodriguez's hospital room. On its return at 8.30 p.m., the pilot shined the helicopter spotlight into Rodriguez's room. At that moment, his son said, Rodriguez's heart beat for the last time. I said, one last flight for you, Dad. Rodriguez is survived by his son, Rufino, Stephen, uh, Ruf Rufino Stephen, sorry, and daughter-in-law, Caitlin, three sisters, Rosa, Mercedes, and Amelia, and three brothers, Victor, Billy, who lived with Rufino and their father in Provo, and Carlos. Another brother, Freddie, died previously. 
Caitlin Rodriguez has launched a GoFundMe site to raise money for UNICEF, with which Rufino Rodriguez worked closely during his life. This story made me get choked up the first time I read it. It really hits home because this is the hospital that I would go to for care when I was a student at Brigham Young University. I was okay until I saw the video his niece posted on Twitter and that's what did me in. I know we're all sick of hearing it, but we need to still be staying home, only going out for the absolute essentials and wearing a mask when we go out. Get your COVID vaccine as soon as you're eligible for it. And in case anyone tries to say that he got COVID from the vaccine, because I'm sure that's going to come up, that's impossible because it's a deactivated virus in the vaccine, just like it's impossible to get the flu from the flu shot. He'd likely been exposed about a week before he got diagnosed. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. I literally did not leave my apartment today. Yay, pandemic. Not even to take out the trash. So yes, I've been barefoot all day, but does it count if you didn't go outside? I don't think it does. Maybe it does. Let's jump straight to the barefoot news. From Magic 106.7, going barefoot during the pandemic means more stubbed and broken toes. Hey, it counts. Orthopedist Dr. Sean Rocket says he has seen an uptick in broken toes and stubbed toe injuries during the pandemic, and he thinks it's because people are all at home not wearing shoes. I personally find this laughable. It's not going barefoot that's the cause of these injuries. It's not paying attention. Like, I've been going barefoot since 2010, and I've never broken a toe. Pay attention to where you're walking. From WNBF, Conklin man found bloody in the street charged with assault. A Conklin man is accused of assaulting his girlfriend after Broome County Sheriff's deputies found him barefoot and bloodied on Brady Hill Road around midday January 22nd. 35-year-old Adam Gurney was found in the middle of the road around 11 a.m., yelling incoherently and began fighting with the deputy. The deputy reported Gurney had blood on his hands he claimed was, came from his, quote, dead girlfriend. Authorities say they determined Gurney was under the influence of drugs and found his girlfriend at home about a mile away with serious injuries to her face. She declined medical treatment. Gurney is charged with felony assault, misdemeanor resisting arrest, and disorderly conduct. I feel like this is what most people are thinking when they see someone barefoot in public. I get approached by random people and it seems like they're expecting that I'm going to be on drugs or that I'm dangerous or mentally unstable. It's a stigma that we have to overcome and I really wish people would judge barefooters based on how they're acting rather than just on the fact that they're not wearing shoes. I could just be standing there and people will think I've escaped from a mental hospital because I don't have shoes on. But that's just something we have to overcome when we choose to live without shoes. There are worse things in the world. And that's all for today's Barefoot News. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. All of my books are available on Amazon and my comics are on Instagram at World of Possums. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.